0: This week, we welcome Chuck Gardner, Senior Director of Government and Nonprofit Engagement for Cyber.org, to discuss Project Access, Training a Diverse Future Workforce. In the Leadership and communications section, fake CISO profiles on LinkedIn target Fortune 500s, cybersecurity executive communication and importance of metrics, tips for developing cybersecurity leadership talent, and more. Business Security Weekly starts. Now. This
1: is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. It's time to rethink how we approach cybersecurity because the reality is modern cyber attackers are already past your initial defenses. ExtraHop helps your security team find and eradicate advanced threats before real damage is done. Protect your enterprise and customers with better defense. Learn more about how ExtraHop stops advanced threats at securityweekly.com forward slash extra hop. That's extra H O P.
0: Cloud security compliance doesn't have to be complicated. Whether your business is migrating to the cloud or a seasoned cloud service provider, Bar Advisory can help you simplify security and compliance frameworks, including SOC, ISO, and HITRUST. As an extension of your team, Bar Specialists will put your people first and empower them with the knowledge and tools needed to stay secure and compliant at every stage of your business growth. Learn how Bar can help your company build trust with consumers and become cyber resilient at securityweekly.com forward slash Bar Advisory. That's B-A-R-R Advisory. Managing and protecting the world's grueling number of endpoints, enabling Tanium's customers to see, control, and protect every endpoint everywhere. Tanium's mission is to provide certainty in uncertain times with the industry's only converged endpoint management, trusted by the U.S. military and the majority of the Fortune 100. Today, Tanium helps manage and protect nearly 30 million endpoints. Tanium, the power of certainty. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Tanium to learn more welcome to business security weekly this is episode number 279 recorded october 3rd 2022 i am your host matt alderman joining me today are a a a plethora of co-hosts all remotely first we're going to start with josh marpet josh welcome back it's been a while
2: Pleasure. Always a pleasure to be here on your show, Matt. Thank you. Thanks
0: for joining us today. Also joining who I have not seen in a very long time, good friend of mine, Mr. John Kinsella. Hey, M- hey, ASW host.
3: How you doing? I missed you. And also it's October and I, I, I just had to come and see you as <laughs> well here on the show. Good to be here. Yeah.
0: Yes. Thank you. And also joining us again this week is Mr. Tyler Robinson. Tyler, always a pleasure.
4: Thanks, Matt. You got all the co-hosts this week. We had to get our mat time in somehow, you know?
0: I guess. Uh, I guess that's what happens when you change jobs. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the shows? Submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and completing the form. We review those suggestions often and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. Chuck Gardner serves as the Senior Director of Government and Nonprofit Engagement for Cyber.org, the academic initiative of the Cyber Innovation Center. He has more than 10 years of classroom experience and holds an EDD, EDD and an MBA from the University of Phoenix and a bachelor's from the United States Merchant Marine Academy. After leaving the maritime industry in 2006, he became a career-changing educator, first teaching algebra and geometry in middle school, then moving to a high school robotics and cyber classroom, where he first encountered cyber.org and wrote content for them. As a senior director, he now oversees much of the federal and state-based outreach and national support for standards adoption, pathway development, and education workforce development initiatives. Chuck, welcome to Business Security
5: Weekly. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me. Joshua, John, Tyler, it's good to see everybody, and uh, I look forward to having a conversation. It's Cybersecurity Awareness
0: Month. It started on Saturday officially. We're the third, third day into to Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Kevin Knowlton came on uh, September of last year. I looked it up to yeah. talk about uh, cyber.org and some of the initiatives that were going on at the time. Uh, so it's a great time. To be, you know, talking about cybersecurity and education and and all the work that that Cyber .org does. Um, so let's start. Where's Kevin? And how did you end up in the chair? I guess is the first question. <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's right. Uh, so uh, thanks again. Kevin Knowlton uh, is now the vice president for the Cyber Innovation Center. As you mentioned, Cyber.org is the academic initiative of the Cyber Innovation Center. Cyber Innovation Center is the anchor tenant of this 3,000-acre national cyber research park we have out here in Bossier City, Louisiana. Right outside my window uh, is it's much of that land and includes uh, a, a building occupied by General Dynamics. We've got uh, a joint space uh, opportunity for Louisiana Tech University and Bossier Paris. Community College and just finished coming out of the ground uh, is a new, I don't know, 20,000 square foot research facility for uh, called Louisiana Tech Research Institute. So, um, uh, Kevin's now um, kind of overseeing all of that uh, and left us minions down here on the third floor to run cyber.org, uh, where we operate under the grant from uh, CISA uh, to bring quality instructional materials to teachers across the country in K 12 at no cost. That's great. I I love the program. We're going to talk about Project Access,
0: which is a very, it's one of the outreach programs, right? And this one's kind of near and dear to my heart, having an autistic son. This one is actually, you know, really to bring in other diverse talent, including special needs students as well. So give us a little background on Project Access.
5: Sure. Uh, And uh, real quick, uh, if if there's a a air craft flyover. It's two o'clock and the first B-52 from Barksdale Air Force Base, which is just on the other side of the building, just had its first flyby. So about every three or four minutes that may be happening. So uh, we can keep time pretty much for the rest of the afternoon that way. But um, project access actually stemmed um, initially from a a grant that we had won uh, back in 2016 from NSF uh, to study some of this work. So um, we had a National Science Foundation grant uh, after we had done uh, some work with students with disabilities. Uh, The name Project Access was identified for that grant and then it became uh, the larger cyber.org initiative of Project Access. But uh, it has uh, an initial, uh, an interesting history, right? That goes, that has ties to NSF, but also uh, to our very good friends uh, in the state of Virginia and their state agency called the Virginia Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired. Um, So this actually goes back one more year, 2015, we were approached by the State Department of Education in Virginia. Uh, to follow up on an initiative from then Governor McAuliffe to bring uh, a cyber summer camp to students from across the state. Uh, they wanted uh, some opportunity for all of the um, the high schools who had interest uh, in all eight of the superintendent's regions uh, and, and the Department of Ed, right, with this uh, mantra to bring cybersecurity education to those students needed someone to provide that content. Uh, and they approached us and uh, we brought training to over 250 teachers, high school teachers from across the state. They impacted over 700 students and the first three week cyber summer camp Event happened the summer of 2016. Uh, That fall, um, we got a call from Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired out of Richmond, uh, essentially saying, "Right, it was great what you did for all of those students, but we have a population who can benefit from this content as well, Uh, and we'd like to put our heads together and and kind of discuss the art of the possible to bring that cyber instruction uh, to our students." So we we met. We brought, uh, as the story goes, everything including the kitchen sink to a meeting in Richmond. We had brought Raspberry Pis, we brought Arduinos. Um, Last-ditch effort, I brought a Bobot um, because it had been what we were using, and I'll explain those platforms uh, in just a second. But um, we were all hyped on, on these, some of these really great, um, ubiquitous platforms. I mean, everybody's using Raspberry Pi. The entire maker community has Raspberry Pi at some point doing something for them, monitoring you know, soil moisture or hosting websites. Uh, it's a really great, powerful platform that is great gaining some significant adoption uh, in K-12. Uh, the problem was the programming environment wasn't accessible. So it all comes down to accessible curriculum and being able to, I'm gonna use air quotes, right? To, to see the content through uh, accessible technology like a screen reader or magnifiers. And a lot of these uh, editors present text as images rather than as readable text so the editor for the arduino is not legible by a screen reader the editor for a um, uh, raspberry pi isn't isn't editable uh, legible by a screen reader Uh, so last ditch effort we dusted off that bobot the bobot is uh, an old technology from parallax robotics out in rockland california that's programmed in basic and the editor presents Beautifully legible text uh, that works swimmingly with screen readers. Uh, so, this first iteration of Project Access used a basic powered robot where the students built their own bots they assembled their own circuits they programmed their own code and it's th- it was this week-long um, residential interactive opportunity and we brought students with all sorts of uh, uh, opportunities you know for for learning here we had blind students we had students with hearing disabilities we had students on the spectrum and everyone succeeded and it changed lives. That first camp we hosted in 2017 changed lives. Uh, I'm still in communication with a couple of those uh, those students and the organizer, uh, Tish Harris, uh, she and I, we, we speak at least weekly, uh, if not monthly, on this topic and what we're going to do next year. Uh, but there are students from that year one who have come back and contributed every year since then, who have gone on to study um cybersecurity. There was one student, his his goal was to be a wrestling coach. He's now past Security Plus. He's on to other credentials. He's studying at Blue Ridge Community College, doing really wonderful things. We did two, three years of the Bobot camp, and then we altered uh, and and started studying Linux and cybersecurity and web pages and, and accessible web pages. And these kids built their own web pages in, in a in a week-long summer camp. And just fantastic opportunities to bring um, a tr- what what would be a traditional? classroom instruction on cyber and cybersecurity and conversations on real-world applications of these to a population who had never even considered it, uh, much less had the opportunity to study it in their classroom. Uh, And that's what Project Access is. We're now taking it to uh, states across the country. This past summer, we hosted events uh, in Vermont and in Michigan with Nebraska and uh, Arkansas and, again, Virginia. But we're also bringing it next year to Colorado and New Jersey, um, where there are state agencies for students with disabilities, we want to make sure they have access to this curriculum. So, project access in a nutshell, in a very big nutshell. A very big nutshell. Uh, BASIC, my first programming
0: language. So, I got to go check out the Bobot because I probably still remember how to program in BASIC. Uh, Most of my other programming skills have gone straight downhill, haven't they, Mr. Kinsella? (laughs) <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but I think it's great that you've actually moved the program beyond basic yeah. and now in Linux and in other technologies that are actually really relevant to our industry right now. There is a lot of work being done in linux and, and especially uh, for web page and web page design and and penetration testing, for example. I think those are great
5: skill sets to have. And, and they are, and, and it, that, that also comes with its own set of unique challenges. For example, um, our, the curriculum that Cyber.org writes through the DHS CISA grant to give away to, to teachers uses um, Kali Linux and, and a lot of the tools that appear in Kali Linux like Metasploit and um, Social Engineering Toolkit and, and John the Ripper. And there are components of that, and, and you're going to nod your head when you hear this Right. When you open up Metasploit for the first time, you get that splash screen and it is full of text, like those 1980s pictures we used to make in ASCII, right, using all of those textual characters. A screen reader wants to read every individual character and these students will be stuck for an hour waiting for their screen reader to paint that picture uh, that is cute right, in Metasploit. It's cute in Social Engineering Toolkit, but it, it really puts us a step behind when we're trying to encourage all students uh, to to test these tools because their screen readers are just going to burp, right, when they see that Big splashy image made of ASCII characters. Uh, so we're working with some some partners now to kind of streamline those, uh, take out some of those splash screens, maybe recreate uh, what a Metasploit framework looks like in a more visual friendly um, atmosphere. So so. Th- Cali didn't come without its own set of challenges either, uh, but it's really been a great tool. Kids were super excited this year to be breaking passwords and to seek credential harvesting and key loggers uh, in action. It was it was really it was a wonderful experience.
4: What kind of organizations are trying to partner with or kind of give back to you guys from the community side? Yeah. Like, do you have uh, ways to volunteer? Interesting avenues for other uh, organizations that try and do this, maybe at a smaller scale to contribute?
5: Yeah, uh, great question. So so one of the partners we've had for a number of years now, and I hope I'm not calling anybody out um, or, or calling foul here, but Palo Alto Networks has been working with us um, for uh, the, the last couple of years. Um, since we, we partnered Way back in 2017 with the Girl Scouts to develop cybersecurity badges. Um, Palo Alto Networks was a partner of ours. They then helped us with the North Dakota uh, Pre K 20W initiative, which is bringing cybersecurity awareness to primary, secondary, post secondary, uh, and graduate studies all the way up to workforce. Uh, And they were, um, they came to visit the camp we had this summer uh, in Richmond where, where we did the cybersecurity work uh, and, and saw the struggle with those splash screens and said, let's help make a make a better functioning uh, demo for these kids to practice in. Uh, but they're also bringing some technology down to support that as well. Uh, other areas, Tyler, where, where folks can support are, um, you know, we've, we've got workshops that we're hosting all throughout the fall. Um, we started, I think, two weeks ago in September, and we we're going straight through uh, to some sometime in December. We've got um, high, our high school technical cybersecurity course. We've got workshops to help teachers become confident in teaching that content in their classroom, because not every K-12 teacher knows cybersecurity, much less as a cybersecurity expert. So our job not only is to write curriculum and to give it away, but give confidence to those teachers. So we've got these workshops. And the cool thing about the workshops is they're open to anyone. Uh, If you want to go to cyber.org slash events and and take a stroll through uh, the workshops that we have scheduled between now and I think December is up there, um, anyone can sit in on those workshops and kind of see what it is that we're bringing to the K-12 population, whether it's our middle school cybersecurity basics, our high school cybersecurity. We want to encourage community members, right? To understand what's happening in the classroom. Um, we wanna be as transparent as possible with the content uh, that's being presented to sons and daughters uh, and grandchildren, right? At, that are in in the classrooms today. So we welcome anyone to come on in and take a look at those sessions. Uh, Matt, we had spoken earlier about CISOs and, and the role that they can play. Uh, if they're interested in learning about the talent that's being developed in high school, come and take a look at the curriculum that we're giving away. We can't give you the curriculum, but you're more than welcome to sit in on these training sessions to see what it's all about. Uh, so Tyler, we're an open book. All of our resources are free to educators, and a lot of our content uh, is free to the general public at large too.
0: So one of the, so there's, oh, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Uh,
2: so I was, I was going to ask, there's, there's a, uh, there's a component in the InfoSec scene, uh, the hacker scene, et cetera, whatever, that, is, uh, that does work on accessibility. And, and uh, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Blind as, 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 as a blind hacker, yeah. as, as one of our, our big uh, proponents for that. I don't know if you know him. No. OK. Uh, his, his handle is Blind yeah. Hacker. OK. Uh, and that's what he is on Twitter, by the way. And I just hit him up on Twitter and said, hey, is, have you ever heard of this? Yeah. So you, you can expect some some queries from somebody that is very in the middle of yeah. This. So
5: I think it was these um, conversations that have introduced me to that uh, handle, but uh, I have not had the pleasure uh, just yet. So um, he's, I don't wanna... awesome. he's awesome.
2: He's yeah. awesome, and I'm I'm really curious to see how the curriculum will change mm-hmm. when you have people that have been living this world for literally decades. Yeah. And can give you some feedback on it. Yeah, and I wonder if you've had that from other people. Uh,
5: yeah. So um, it, it just occurred to me where I did hear that name. we were at a, an event in um, Louisville, Kentucky, the, the Hack Red Gong, uh, and and that group, Red Seer, uh, brought up uh, blind hacker's name. And uh, it's just it's just been so recent that I, I haven't had a chance to reach out yet. But um, we we want uh, input, we want feedback. Um, we've sure. got a cyber range product that's getting ready to go live, uh, coming up here in, in about two weeks, and that's going to be a free opportunity for teachers across the country to bring their students into a safe secure sandboxed range environment for their k-12 classroom not have to rely on the IT department to install technology air gap and you know make sure it's safe for students to practice on here it's it's all encased in a web browser um, and we want feedback on that it's going to be in pilot for the first couple of weeks um, the the stuff that we're doing with project access um, I, I bring people into these camps so that they can see it and provide feedback and and again help us shape this uh, a couple years ago we did one of the events here in, in Louisiana, and there was a, a blind user over at General Dynamics uh, who came and visited with the students and talked about uh, the impact of you know cybersecurity on his career. Uh, and and those are all conversations we would love to be able to highlight and showcase with uh, with our students. We've got some resources online. We've got some career profile cards that are going to give students an idea of what some job roles in cybersecurity look like and, and pay and what kind of prerequisites and degrees or certifications do you need. Um, and on some of those, we have video interviews with people actually doing that job. So if we can bring folks in who are going to be able to talk to this population and and all uh, you know students we all have have disabilities of, of one sort or another, right? We want to make sure that they're all aware of capabilities that they can bring uh, to these uh, to these to these jobs.
2: That's wonderful. Thank yeah. you.
0: So Chuck, one of the challenges, um, education k to twelve makes a lot of sense. For a lot of the disability students, having one myself, there's a transition period, typically after they get through what would be classified their senior year. It's called a transition program. In most states, they run until they're about 21. How do, how do we tap into those transition students that have already completed high school still in the system up to 21, but even more importantly, how do we tap into them after they leave transitions? Because I just, I know the challenges having just moved from Colorado to Texas, like finding um, students and, and people to meet with my son, it gets harder as they get older. Are there, are there ways to tap into these students even after they leave high school and transition programs to get them the education to
5: get them into some of these programs? sure and yeah as the uh, government and nonprofit uh, engagement what i'm doing is working with the states but also the state agencies for these students and, and learners and workforce um, members with disabilities. Uh, I know Virginia has a, a program that, that we're involved with that goes from you know, pre-K to roughly 18, 19, 20 years old. But beyond that, there's workforce opportunities to engage with um, and network with um, in, in most states, uh, if not all. So, like I mentioned, you know, our partnerships with Virginia and Nebraska and Arkansas and Colorado and New Jersey. Um, there are similar relationships in Washington and Oregon and Maine and Massachusetts uh, so it's it's the state agencies that are going to be um, my main point of contact and what my goal is oh. over the next year or so right is to make sure that these state agencies are aware of the employers but also that the employers are aware of the state agencies. And that's one of the things as, as Tish and I, I mentioned Tish Harris from DBVI, as we go out and we, we speak to, um, these work groups and, and these, um, you know, round tables is that you know, you've got uh, this this talent pool of outside the box thinkers these these students are coming up solving problems in ways that a traditional student hasn't even considered um i had someone from year 2 came an intern for me this this summer uh and the 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 problem solving set that they brought to some of the issues that we were working um my team hadn't even considered, uh, and and they were really able to solve some some really high level problems um, with some simple Linux, um, maybe you know HTML and and languages and solutions that I don't even understand. Um, but you know if 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 CISOs and employers are looking for outside the box thinkers, this is the population that we're preparing uh, for you, um, Mr. Mrs. CISO or or um, you know employer.
0: Yeah, because I think that, you know, we know all the challenges with the workforce. If there mm-hmm. are other skills that you can now bring in, not only to bolster your team, but also create that diverse em- em- employee um, environment, right? We talk about diversity and inclusion. Uh, we've talked about it on the show many times, right? It brings in a whole set of diverse individuals that can also solve problems uh, for the organization. I think it's really important to figure out how do we make these connections, right? So that that employers know that these people are out there that like the challenges at the state level. I mean, I just trying to navigate Texas, right? I I can just tell you it's not that easy, right? A lot Mm. of these kids, once they're out, like, they don't, they don't show up on the state education radars anymore. They fall into Medicare waiver programs, right? Like, how do you tap into those programs to provide some of these resources for these kids, I think, would be a huge benefit, not only to them, but to the entire cybersecurity uh, workforce.
5: Yeah. You, you, you mentioned a funny thing. Kevin and I have a phrase. You've seen one State Department of Education. You've seen one State Department of Education. There are 49 others and they're all different. Yeah. Uh, similarly with, with state agencies, they all have, um, you know, budgets that come from the state and it's up to them on how they use it. We could try to encourage them, uh, to show a little love to, to workforce development. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a task that, that we, Take on cheerfully uh, day after day. But uh, one thing you mentioned is that, you know, the CISOs need to know who the state agencies are. We know the state agencies. I need to meet the CISOs. I want to be that one stop shop. I want to be the, the matchmaker. Right. That's going to help connect opportunities with um, workforce uh, across the country uh, I'm not shared I'm not uh, scared to share my contact info I'm hope it's part of the show notes but um, you know our, our page uh, cyber org slash initiative/ project hyphen reach um, will also be there but that's where um, a lot of information about what we're doing with project reach our current outreach uh, and then you know we'll sh- slowly update it to show all of our uh, ongoing opportunities but I want to make sure that employers are aware of the population, and, and we've got some really great talent uh, that's that's being developed as a result of, of these opportunities. I want to make sure that that they all know where to find it. So um, please, you know, help us help us meet these folks who are looking to fill part of the seven hundred thousand jobs across the country.
3: Chuck, it might be interesting to talk a little bit about. Um, I don't want to say the other side of this, but so we're, you know, we're you're you're doing this amazing work that's actually educating a you know a, a part of the the workforce which has been you know, could have had more attention over the years. Um, there's been great people coming out of these programs for, for years, now we're gonna start seeing them with a little more, um, both tech as well as security experience. Can you talk to how that's starting to change um, the corporate environment? And yeah. not so much, there's a different person in, in sitting in a cube, but like, are these, I'm guessing that not everyone is going into purely tech environments or going into different environments. So. How, how are you seeing a change from that is that does that question make sense or
5: it it does so let me just preface by saying we have to understand this is a long game right we're yeah. talking about high school kids that we're impacting middle mm-hmm. school and even back into elementary we've got mm-hmm. cybersecurity curriculum that's re- reaching back into the elementary space um, the the environment that we have here up in Bozier was was developed as a result of this work starting back in 2008 uh, and we still have got you know new opportunities coming out of the ground so mm-hmm. um, Anyone who's looking for a quick fix to their you know twenty thirty thousand person shortfall, um, this isn't it. Uh, but we're, we're definitely security,
3: we're all about the quick fix. Come on, We're all about the quick fix, right?
5: <laughs> um, but um, there was I uh, was, that was a point I was going to bring up. Um, Sorry. It, oh, um, the, the the long the long fix. Uh, oh man.
3: <laughs> so you, I get it. You're, it's not like all these people you've been teaching them for the last 20, 30 years, and they're all everywhere in corporate yeah. environment, right? It's, it's a fairly new program. But are you starting yeah, I, to see any sign of that? Or? Uh,
5: so, so I think we are. It's, yeah. it's the conversations that we're having with these students, right? It isn't maybe, you know, a lot of them still don't know if cybersecurity is for them. Mm-hmm. In the Virginia program alone, we've impacted close to 100 students uh, in, in five years. Um, I guess it's over 100 now. And um, not everyone leaves the program wanting to join cybersecurity. So the conversation we have is find your hobby, find something you love, and there's going to be a cybersecurity wrinkle to it. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's working with assistive technology, let's make them more secure. right? You guys know assistive technology, you know JAWS and ORCA and all of those screen reader and magnifier technologies. There's a need to make sure that those platforms are secure. Uh, If if, uh, uh, um, agriculture is your thing. Uh, there's a lot of agriculture and manufacturing in Virginia. There are cybersecurity implications to those careers too. So take what you've learned here and find the spin that's going to make you do what you want to do, happy doing what you want to do, uh, but also supporting this, this need for cybersecurity among all of the workforces, work you know, work areas. So we just want to make sure that, that students have awareness that they have a role to fill. Uh, and it's it's not always going to be frontline cybersecurity. Um, but the, for the ones who are interested in, yes, like I said, that first year student, is, uh, he's got two credentials now wrapping up an associate's degree, um, ready to join that workforce and, and make an impact. So uh, I've got another one who's in a four-year program studying math and cybersecurity. He was the one who interned for me this summer. Uh, there is no doubt uh, some uh, high-level cybersecurity firm is going to gobble him up as soon as he's done um, at Lipscomb University, he's got some really great future ahead of him. Uh, So we're making an impact. Um, John, I just don't know that it's going to solve workforce problems tomorrow, but it's certainly going to Mm -hmm. play a role in the future.
3: But that's still totally fine. It's, um, you know, uh, uh, Tyler was on the show with us last week on Application Security Weekly, we were talking to Janet Worthington from Forrester. And they did this, I don't know if you've seen this math, they did this really interesting study. Uh, They looked at the top 50 CS programs at the, Mm -hmm. at the bachelor level in the U.S. And then they looked at what requirements, graduation requirements on those programs. And none of the top 50 had a requirement that um, the CS kids would have a, some sort of an application security or some sort of security course. Mm -hmm. So... It, it, I think this is sort of partially feeding into that, right? If if someone starts off in a program like this and they go to a two year program or a four year program, they're already thinking about that, which I think seems to be um, way further along than than some of some of the folks over the last few years. And nothing bad about it, right? But like w- yeah. we talk about as an industry, we don't have that quick fix. We want to, um, you know, we want to start having people thinking about security a little bit earlier. But mm-hmm. if we're not seeing it in some of the schools, or if it's not a requirement in some of the schools, we're we're not. Not on the right foot yet, I don't think there. So this is good to see. Yeah. No,
5: you're right. When I was in the classroom, we said, you know, it's too late. If you're making your decision in high school, you got to be middle mm-hmm. school. These days we're saying middle mm-hmm. school is too late. you got to be making awareness <laughs> in elementary school. Yeah. yeah. Um, our goal at cyber.org is to graduate high school students with not only an awareness of the careers, but credentials if applicable, uh, but prepared for uh, future study without a doubt. So we want to make sure that students who choose college are going to be successful in college. Students who choose workforce are going to have credentials to get them those entry-level seats uh, in a GDIT or, uh, you know, another another institution in, in their area uh, that's hiring. So, you know, Security Plus, Net Plus, um, uh, A Plus, and uh, IT Fundamentals, we've got curriculum that supports all four of those core CompTIA credentials. And we're working on additional uh, as CompTIA releases the next version, right? Linux is coming out soon and cloud security. Um, we want to make sure that there's a K-12 opportunity to raise a student's awareness, potentially get them credentialed before they leave school so that they can become successful, uh, you know, family providing members of society. Yeah. I
0: mean, even if they don't go into cybersecurity, mm-hmm. that's just one more person that understands the fundamentals of cybersecurity yeah. and eliminates one more weak link somewhere in an organization. So it's still going to
5: do some positive,
0: and, I think. Regardless, it's your family,
5: right? The mom and dad yeah. are going to know more about it because the son, the son or daughter knows more about it. The right. grandparents are going to be more aware because the son, or the grandson or granddaughter are going over fixing printers. Right? Hey, you really shouldn't be clicking on that link. Um, you know, think before you act next time. <laughs> yes, Chuck. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Business Security Weekly. Matt, thanks for having me. Uh, John, Tyler, Josh, it's a pleasure. Uh, and again, share my contact info. I want to make sure uh, that we're, we're teaming folks up so that we can uh, we can start making a dent in the cybersecurity workforce problem. Yes, thanks if everybody.
0: anybody wants to learn more or learn how to get involved, all the connection links are in the show notes for this episode. Feel free to reach out to Chuck directly, go to cyber.org, lots of resources out there. We're gonna take a quick break and then cover the leadership and communications articles for this week. Is your organization finding it difficult to achieve compliance and scale its security posture? As G2's highest-rated cloud compliance software, Drada streamlines your SOC 2 ISO 27001, PCI DSS, HIPAA, GDPR, and many more security frameworks and provides continuous 24-hour control monitoring so you can focus on scaling securely. Drada is also the only compliance automation platform with a private tenant database. That's like having your cake and securing it too. Listeners of Business Security Weekly get 10% off Drada by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash Drada. That's D-R-A-T-A. Cybercriminals are working overtime. Last year in the fourth quarter
1: alone, phishing attacks disguised as COVID testing information increased by 521%. Barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cybercriminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers. Find out about the 13 email threat types and how Barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams, your customers, and your reputation. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda weekly.com forward slash barracuda.
2: The
0: shift to remote and hybrid work over the past 2 years has accelerated application development on cloud infrastructure. However, securing these new assets has lagged behind. Qualys CloudView, the next-generation cloud security posture management, delivers an end-to-end multi-cloud security and compliance solution encompassing the entire application lifecycle from build to runtime. CloudView enables enterprises to assess their cloud security and compliance posture, identify risks and gaps, auto-remediate issues, proactively and best practices, improve compliance and audits rapidly and efficiently. Identify your most vulnerable cloud assets by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash Qualys. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Josh Marpet, John Kinsella, and Tyler Robinson. Don't forget to check out our library of on-demand webcasts and technical trainings by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. Also, don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. All right, gentlemen, articles for the week. I started with this fake CISOs uh, profiles on LinkedIn, targeting Fortune 500s. Now, this is an interesting story where not only are these profiles being set up on LinkedIn, they're actually showing up on Google searches as valid CISOs higher than the real CISOs when, when some of this stuff is, um, is searched. A uh, little scary that anybody can just set up their own uh, LinkedIn profile and become a CISO of like, you know, whoever.
4: I'm surprised this is new news to some some of these places. Like, this, <laughs> we've been doing this for quite a while. <laughs> like the fact that you can get you can get it search indexed and put it at the top of the list. In fact, these ones are really bad. There's not that much history on them. There's no recommendations. Right. You, you connect with a good CISO network and just add yourself to the groups and then you start to get reviews from other CISOs and it really starts to look legit. So like, yeah, I mean, well, it is the, scary. <laughs> on LinkedIn, remember it's all self, uh, self-attestation. It's Wikipedia. So how
2: many, co- yeah, <laughs> f- how many companies have you had, how many companies actually check their em- people, uh, employees associated with that company re- record on LinkedIn and check and make sure they're all actual employees. Because I, like I've been in three person companies, no joke where you're like, why are there five people listed on LinkedIn when you do that random check? And you're like, who are these two? I, I mean, it's it's not hard. I, also in groups, I own LinkedIn groups from pen tests done almost a decade ago mm-hmm. and years ago. And like, and I just never bothered to give them up. And they're now actively used by those companies, like, like in sincerely actively done, but I've never bothered to give them up. Nobody's ever asked me, nobody ever looked, but I own the groups.
3: Yeah. I think- oh, What's in? What's interesting to me on a real quick is, what are people doing with this, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, cool. That the profiles are there. It's is are these being actively? Or how are these being actively used to do? Um, I mean, you can guess it's a social engineering attack. But um, the 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 ones that remind me of, I know, big shock, huh? Um, the one that reminded me of is a lot of the crypto stuff I see, where you know, for for me, it'll be like. Um, some fairly attractive, brand new user with, you know, maybe 25 users and suddenly wants to connect to me. And it's like, you know when to connect next to go start talking about crypto. And it's like, no. So, but I'm sort of curious, what what are they using? Are they just building these up with intent to then do something? Or what's the, the bigger picture behind it?
2: Actually, them? I have an answer mm-hmm. on um, Reddit MSP today. Not a joke, today I saw this and I'm like, oh wow, this links perfectly. There was a whole thread about if you sign up a new person, like if we onboarded Tyler into our MSP, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just picking on you, Tyler, uh, within hours to days, he would start getting text messages and emails from the CEO or an executive saying, hey, I need a favor, do this, buy a gift card, whatever, the standard BS stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, and they're, they're going to the point that these MSPs are starting to investigate this. Like, is it just LinkedIn and uh, uh, social media mm-hmm. announcements? Like, oh, hey, I just joined this company. Uh, did they create that CISO on LinkedIn for this purpose? There's also at least one MSP that's like, no, I just have to create an O365 account that's linked to no person, it's a fake name, and, and all of a sudden it starts getting through the Microsoft phone system, it starts getting the, the the text messages, the emails, hey, it's the CEO, can you do this for me? And so it's, it's, it's not just uh, uh, for crypto hmm. and things like that. Tyler, what are you doing? <laughs> No, when mean, he smirks like that, he's doing something. It's creating, he's it, it, creating It them. is
4: valid. That is, that is how it's working. The botnets are leveraging this. There's, you know, de- it depends on which botnet, depends on which group, depends on what the persona is and how well established it is. If you have some that are very well established in certain networks that give you intel, you can see who's using certain technologies. You can keep track of what other director levels uh, or executive levels are doing. It's almost like having a seat at the board because of how much gets posted in some of these private groups and or at the mm-hmm. the level for the company. So really depends on if it's a recon or intel gathering or it's leveraged for scraping uh, You know, all the people mm-hmm. in the company. You have to be a first or second level connection to get full details and get notifications from the company. So you get at that level, then you start to get recon and intel. And then you're right. The other thing is... People don't realize that LinkedIn is a Microsoft-owned company. LinkedIn has the ability to sign into O365 and gain insights because of the connection between LinkedIn. Uh, there's an option with inside your Azure AD tenancy that says, uh, allow LinkedIn uh, single sign-on authentications. So there's some interesting things that you can do with that as well.
0: I forgot that. That's I, Oh, that's a good point. Plus, if you're a CISO, if you're a fake CISO, and you're out trying to connect to other CISOs. You look valid. You get a connection. But guess what? Now I know your personal email account. I can start, I can start getting information and data about you through those connections. I guarantee you this is going to be used in some so- sort of social engineering attack. Take it
4: one step further and don't even think about the social engineering. Think about the ability to disseminate information, Mm. right? Like you look at the election campaign year of 2016 or 2020, and you look at the networks and the different groups in which we're pushing that information around, you know, what country was doing it. It was both sides of the, of the country, and that was disinformation from different threat actor groups trying to push that down. So you get that to the highest level and you're with inside those groups as a, a CISO. Uh, that allows you a dissemination platform and a channel.
0: Yep. Next story, what CISOs want to see from NIST's impending zero trust guidelines. I, I assume budget would be one of those.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely going to happen. <laughs>
0: Where? Like, I haven't seen the legislation come across with dollars in it yet, but it's going to have to if people want these zero trust guidelines implemented.
2: No, it's not. No, it doesn't have to come with a single dollar, because what they're doing is they're mandating through the executive orders uh, 140728, I think, don't quote me on that, uh, that uh, software bill of materials, zero trust, uh, various other things are absolutely mandated. Uh, CMMC was supposed to be funded by the government, except they re- went, oh, sorry, we, we weren't supposed to say that. Like, literally, the, this is going to cost millions of dollars to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but it's going to drag most companies into a zero trust model. And frankly, honestly, don't we want that? We do, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, here's the challenge, right? And this is why everybody- John Kinsella doesn't
0: everybody, want- <laughs> everybody. Every, everybody wants to figure this out. Like, yeah, the mandate's there the timelines are there but there's no realistic way for organizations to get there with the current budgets and the current systems that they have this is a yeah. major overhaul of our yeah. federal agencies right now yep. granted we're going to drag some of these agencies kicking and screaming to get there and we're probably going to pull other parts of the commercial environment along with it right but you know this is this is not something you just say it's going to be done yeah. by the end of the year because it's yeah. not, right? Like there's just – and and what I don't like about the way some of this has transpired is that th- there is no easy answer to fixing cybersecurity in the government. There isn't. It, it doesn't matter whether it's an executive order or not. We have to look at our systems. We have to look at our, our budget allocations and really identify how do we actually solve this. And I don't think anybody's actually outside of, yes, I'm going to create an executive order. I am i don't see enough wood behind that arrow to actually make an impact
3: yet. So I think the um, – and yes, I, I, I said I, – I, I will say on record John Cancelo thinks that um, high-level hand-waving of zero trust is, is – um, Unfortunately, not going to get us there. And, you know, it's it's went communist. I mean, <laughs> when these first came out earlier this year and you look through the details, Sorry. you're like, no one's ever going to meet the timelines on these. And that's what it says in this articles. like, yeah, um, they phrased it a little bit nicer, but um, uh, it's basically yeah, 2024. They're not going to meet it. I think what's great about it is that it's getting people thinking about it, having this conversation and, and maybe starting to scrounge through the, the proverbial pillows and the couch to figure out where to go. get the budget for this. Um but, you know, a lot of the zero trust people like to say zero trust is a concept, not a product you buy off the shelf. OK, so that means all these different organizations now have to go and, and figure this stuff out themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're all going to come up well, with something different.
2: It's, it's, worse. It's, it's John, it's worse. They don't even know what zero trust is. Yeah. We're just recently coming to a definition of zero trust, yeah. much less how to implement it or how to build it or what products to use mm-hmm. to you know, fill in the jigsaw puzzle pieces of what it is and everything else. We So like, until we can come to an industry standard mm-hmm. definition of zero trust, which we're getting yeah, there, okay. we're getting there. But like, it's going to take a little while. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, we did an interview on this show about a month ago, where we basically zero trust is not a skew. It's not even five skews, right? I think NIST has done great work in building out the zero trust architecture and identifying the core pillars of what you need to address from a zero trust perspective. It's not even five skews. You can't go out and buy one identity player, one data player, one one endpoint player, one app. Play. Like you can't go buy one of each of those and be like, oh. I'm done with zero trust. There's no way, right? And so what I think this article is really talking about is NIST, continue building out the architecture, continue to build out guidelines. You're going to have to create multiple tiers of this, crawl, walk, run, across these tiers, similar to what we did with uh, 853, right? Hmm. Different tiers based on different risk profiles of of the organization. They're going to have to do something very similar. Otherwise, it's going to be too daunting of a task for these agencies to implement.
4: Yeah. And I mean, is, is zero trust really anything more than what we've been saying the last twenty years? I mean it was defense in depth before that, it was a CI triad before that, it was security best practices before that. It's all the it exact is. same it is core fundamentals. Like why yes
2: and no. The 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 thing that we've been saying for for defense in depth, the thing we've been saying, like you said, for twenty years, was you know protect your perimeter, build multiple perimeters. In this case, it's it's it, it's similar. It's similar. Don't get me wrong, Tyler, you're 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 100 on on target there. It's every single component of your entire infrastructure, your entire world has its own perimeter. Okay, yep. everything is reauthentication, everything is reauthorization, and of course that means that all of your SSO is oh wait single point of failure. Correct. Mm-hmm. Crap. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's still a problem. Okay, but you're you're right, and it's it's a refinement of that SSO yeah, so with MFA. Your your
0: two points of failure, and we've already figured out how to hack the SMS MFA. Any the SMS MFA, uh, anyways. So yes.
2: Oh, SMS MFA is just worthless. Anyway.
0: Yeah, but now you have CISOs literally figuring out the risk profile of their different MFA technologies because one is, is so susceptible to attack that they they can't even consider it as a valid MFA component anymore. So now they're all switching. Like this is stuff that these that everybody's trying to figure out now. Thank, thank you, Twilio.
4: What's the RFC for, for uh, MFA by avian carrier? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a good place to be, though, because it really is reinforcing that like this security journey, like even with zero trust, like we have to iterate on this over and over. Like as a hacker, we're sitting here iterating on ways to break everything that you're coming up with. So that means that you have to continually iterate on ways to continually protect, get creative, reaffirm, retest, reevaluate all the things that we should be doing as good security anyway. I think it just reinforces that as we move forward.
0: Yes. And while we're on this topic, uh, let's see. The White House releases software supply chain security Mm -hmm. guidance. Actually, they didn't. They just basically told NIST to build the guidance and everybody should follow it. Um, But I don't think the guidance actually
2: exists still. Anyone? Supply chain is a very, very awkward topic. It's like I've been studying this now for some time, and it is an awkward, awkward topic because nobody can agree. Oh, oh, SolarWinds, that was a supply chain attack. Okay, cool. But how about when the container ship full of raw materials, is that a supply chain attack? Well, this is software
0: supply chain. So they're only caring Uh, about the S-bomb right now, right? I guess. Yes,
2: but. hmm. Yes, but. It's... uh, Agreed about the software supply chain, and that is all about S bombs, but it's also about the supply chain attacks like SolarWinds Orion, like mm-hmm. Kaseya, like right. uh, how many now? Tyler, what are we up to? 50, 100? I don't even know. A lot. Um,
4: that doesn't even include some of the hardware things and firmware. The F bomb mm-hmm. is coming, don't worry.
2: Yep. Firmware,
4: firmware bill of materials. Firmware.
0: Yep. It's coming.
4: I, I love that, that acronym. That's
0: that. an awesome one. Me too.
4: Ecle- That's an Eclipsium it. one, but yeah, yeah yep. it's fantastic.
3: F bomb. Um, well, NIST has 80161, um, which is their uh, officially titled "Cybersecurity Supply Chain Risk Management Practices for Systems and Organizations." So um, that got a bit of a bounce, uh, an update in May. So there's something there, but yeah, yeah, it, you know, it, it really comes down to creating. Well, S bomb is a concept as greater, F bomb or whatever, but a. How do you create the things in a repeatable way, and then mm-hmm. B. What do you do with it once you got it? So everyone's talking about S bomb, but they're not talking about what you know. How, how do you ben what? How do you, what do you do with that? Yeah. Well,
0: John, you and I used to have this conversation at Layered mm-hmm. Insight. Like, how do you tie all these elements together when a new vulnerability mm-hmm. comes out? And then you go and you tie that into your software bill of materials to see which components of your software potentially now need to go get updated. Like. You're right. We're just talking about the one piece like have the bill of materials, not even thinking about how all the different threats and vulnerabilities tie into that for you to actually know where where your blast radius is. Now that's the new term right now. I got a human blast radius discussion going internally at Living Security because it's like how do you understand the potential impact when this happens. That means I have to tie all these different data elements together. It's not just about creating the first one, it's creating mm-hmm. the entire system to, to
2: analyze it. Yeah. So in one sense, in the last couple of articles, we've talked about zero trust where we're isolating components, right, of your enterprise and supply chain where we're linking them all together in a workflow or a, or, or, or a, or a grid or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And it's, it's fascinating that as we're isolating things, we're also trying to connect them back together.
3: Yes, yes, I know I'm bastardizing John. Just no, no, I'm, it I'm running with. I think I think it's, it's it, it is. I'm I, I will concur with your bastardization, um, and and that's with modern software. There's it. Everything is becoming this sort of it, modern software is a bastardization, um, and then the question is, how do you keep those? Excuse me, I'm running with this bastard separate from each other. Um, Rock and roll. But yeah, pardon my French, everyone.
2: No, no, it's it's, it's it's a fascinating topic because as we componentize software, as software becomes Legos, okay? So that's why we need a software bill of materials, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that Tyler wrote 30,000 lines of code, it's that Tyler took you know, 17, 5,000 line libraries and glued them all together, you know? And so that's why we need a software bill of materials. and And yet that set of code is running an application or a system or a framework or whatever that we need to put authorization, authentication, accountability, and identity around, okay? Or actually, uh, identity is often its own little world. And then we need to figure out what goes into that component, what comes out of that component, how do we secure those lines? Uh, 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 You know, I just found out today that there's now a a suricata for inside of a Kubernetes uh, container set, uh, you know, set of containers, orchestrated set of containers. So you can now do IDS inside of your orchestrated set of containers. So now we're doing inter-container IDS. No, thank you. Like, this is crazy. I tried that. No, thank you.
0: No, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we definitely tried that. No, thanks. And we did it.
2: No, no. Actually, it's, it's, it's been released in test mode today. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, 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 John, I have to say uh, this. Aventura? <laughs> no, no, no. I heard the term Docker and Docker again. Oh, geez. In one of our engineering discussions last week. I was like, no. No. <laughs> nightmares nightmares yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta, see folks no this is what that. happens with john and i get together look out trigger me on
3: that again oh um, my gosh and 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 just to, to bring that back you know you, we didn't just talk about um a zero trust and um this s-bomb and you, you mentioned josh uh, the uh, um uh, uh identification you said it was a separate piece but don't forget we've already talked about linkedin as well so that's going to authenticate all of this <laughs> right automatically <laughs>
0: With, with sir, MFA, bravo. but an SMS-based MFA. So we just tied the first three articles all together in a pretty bow. You're welcome, everyone. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, cybersecurity executive communication and metrics. I, I really, you know, we're, we're going through our Q4 OKRs, objectives, and key results. And every time we go through this exercise, whether it's SMART goals or OKRs, I get reminded of some of the items that are in this article. Yes, they're great for communication and and, and measuring the company and all this other stuff. But it's a good reminder that we have to think about like it's about outcome. I, I got reminded about this last week when we were working through our OKRs. Like when you're communicating, when you're doing these metrics, think about the outcome, right? Because it is outcome-based. I think this is Mm -hmm. the, you know, when I think about the trap that most cybersecurity companies fall into, you know, we think about the speeds and the feeds and the data and the ML and the AI and the this and the that. What's the outcome? What do I do with that data, right? It's such an important component to remember is, yes, I got all this great data and I put it all in this pretty little, Interface, but like, what am I going to do with it? Remember, cybersecurity is a decision
2: support system. We have to support wait, 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 decisions
0: wait. and outcomes of those decisions.
2: So, Matt, if I don't use buzzwords like AIML, how will anybody think that I'm worth my budget? I know.
3: Come oh, on. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But, so I'm. Oh, I'll keep going. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm off my so, soapbox. Go ahead, John. This is. This is an interesting article. Um, as long as you don't look at it too closely, the, the amount of typos in it for a communication article is, is impressive. Um, <laughs> but so, what I was, where it came to, where it sort of clicked with me, I'm currently reading "Working Backwards," um, a story from a uh, Briar and Carr about um, Amazon and how they do what they do, and talking about their PR facts. And you know, in this in this case, what's reminded me of what what they frequently think of when they're working on a project is what are the inputs and what are the outputs. Um, and this is sort of that same type of thing, right? Of like. It's, you're not just doing some of these things for the hell of it, but like, you know, you can, and one of their key phrases in that company, in any company, you're able to adjust your inputs, but the outputs are sort of the result of it. So you can't, if you try to adjust the outputs, you're doing it wrong. It's like, what do you change in the beginning to actually get that to come out the way you need it to? Um, so it's, I, I think it's, it's good to think about. It's, it's a little, could have a little more focus, at least for me, but um it, it's, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different things thrown in here as well, maybe. So probably if you're a a, um, a CISO or anyone, like pick a few things out from here and then just focus on those, I guess. I don't know. I don't think you're doing all this, Matt.
0: No, can't. Yeah. No, no, no. It's too much. This article gets, goes on, it, it pulls in too many elements for me. I think there's mm-hmm. the, some of those key things at the beginning around think about purpose and outcome is very important in communication I think you know keep things you know simple and measurable and achievable and you know like scope I think is important here right like I said we were we've got our CISO advisory board later this week and I'm preparing slides and I'm thinking okay my audience is the CISO audience right be succinct be to Mm -hmm. the point what do you want to hear back from this group of CISOs right give them a questionnaire I I have oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> or, or let me put 30 slides together. No, right? Like you want to understand your audience and how. Are you, what answers do you want to get out of them? And how do you give them what they need to give you that answer back? Because this is a captive audience only for a few hours and we have a lot to cover, right? So I'm thinking about this and this article kind of helped me think about, okay, well, what's the purpose of this meeting? And what do I want out of this audience when, when I sit down and meet with them on Wednesday down in Austin, right? I know that now I got to put together the material I need to support that purpose.
4: So yeah, this is almost a, a pick your one or two, because yeah. depending on how big you are and what your area of influence is, that really determines what you're able to leverage out of this and then not prioritizing those. Again, that comes back to every CISO's job is prioritizing what is important and getting those first things done right.
0: Yep, exactly right. Uh this article, uh tips for developing cybersecurity leadership talent. This is my tie-in article from the previous uh segment. I mean, obviously we, we know the challenges with the workforce, finding the talent, hiring the talent. You know, Chuck came on and talked about programs we're doing down at K 12, but as he said. It doesn't, that that thing doesn't solve today's problems, right? It starts to bring more people with more skill sets in to our industry over time, but I still have to go get talent today, right? I still got to go find this talent. And one of the first recommendations, we talked a lot about this is, you know, identifying and fostering internal security talent. Like, where are they? Where are those uh, folks in the organization that have an aptitude and an attitude towards cybersecurity? How do you use security uh, champions programs, which is mentioned in this article? How do you leverage them as uh, BSOs, you know, business information security officers, to get them involved? Like, how do you find that talent internally and bring them into the, the the cybersecurity family? I think it's such an important topic still to this day that organizations have to deal with. That you know it it. it Good good ideas always help uh, I think organizations find better ways to go find talent.
3: I think it's still think a hard problem comp-
4: though, oh. right? Mm-hmm. Like you oh, God, you, yes. you still have to you still have to find people that A are interested, you still have to find the aptitude and background, you still have to bring people up into that, whether or not mm-hmm. they have the the capability and, and acumen to do it, and whether or not they have the interest. Like we're still at this Gap where we have these 20-year-old veterans and we've got maybe them and a couple of the Gen Xers that are interested in the actual tech, not just the cool flashy stuff. And they actually want to put the work in. Uh, now we've got that that huge gap where we've got a whole bunch of seniors, no juniors, no time to mentor because of the workload. That problem is not going to go away simply by pulling people out of other areas. That's uh, that's a a time gap that we can't shortcut. Yeah, we have to find good ways to shortcut that in a little bit. But uh, that also means we have to do some of that mentoring, and that's going to be a lot of the companies and the enterprises. Uh, putting that investment in yep. and and finding ways to facilitate time and mentorship and uh, understand it's a long game. You're not going to do this in a year. You're not going to do this in two years. Yep. You may be able to f- facilitate some of this mentorship in three to five years.
2: Yeah. And also, I mean, how many of the people that we know are mentoring people on the side? Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many people I, I advise. And, fa- and failing at. <laughs> A lot of time. Of it, yes. But <laughs> I mean realistically, the, the other problem is that a lot of the time mentorship fails not because of the mentor, but of the mentee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean when I used to teach college, my my metric of whether it was a good class was whether I had anybody that was actually going to do the work. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh when you're teaching at the undergraduate level, if you have out of a class of 20, if you have two or three of them that are actually like, Ooh, this is interesting. Let, you know, let's do the projects correctly and not just like, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> when, you know, uh, at the graduate level, it's a lot better. Of course, it's like a filter, but, uh, mm-hmm. it, a lot of people like, I, I mean, years ago I got told I want to be just like you. I'm like, all right. You know, Why? <laughs> Well you're a you know you're an executive at a cybersecurity company. You're making millions of dollars and you're so amazingly successful and I'm like yeah. You have a lot to learn. <laughs> anyway, good luck.
0: Yes, good luck. I first first thing I did when I went to Living Security I said, "All right, you're I I am here to mentor you. You build your plan. Like what do you want? All right? Training. I uh, you know when Jim Ralph came on, he said nobody wants to be retained, they want to be developed, right? So as a manager, I start thinking about development. What does my team want? What skill sets do they want to learn? What training or mentorship can I do to help them? And if they want help, I'm helping them all day long. I'll go find the budgets to get them trained. That's my job as a leader, right? But you're right. Sometimes the men, the, the person who, who wants to be mentored doesn't actually step up and want to do the work. I, there's nothing you can do about that in that
3: particular yep. case. So, yeah,
0: um, we're running. Oh, oh, go
3: ahead. Really briefly on that. I mean, it's, so I've been on a kick recently. I'd, if I don't have, if I can keep someone in a company, and not have to worry about um, bringing someone in from outside. I already got someone who I know they fit the culture. I know they mm-hmm. they, they like what's going on, and that they're already in, in the place. So I would hope an internal uh, mentee, or what's the other phrase you're using here? Um, anyway, which doesn't matter. Uh, but I would hope for that type of person that they're going to be interested, right? It's I'm yeah. not identifying just someone saying, "Okay, Tyler, we're going to have you start working on window washing. I'm going to mentor you on that, right?" It's it's going to be we see a fit, and hopefully those two people there, there's an agreement there of let's go in this direction, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully once that at that place, he's going to be very enthusiastic to learn how to wash those windows better, but. I, I don't know. It's I like the idea. I'd much rather, we were talking this morning on ASW, I'd much rather, um, you know, grow someone and improve someone who's there in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually say it's a security thing, right, from the point of view of if I have people leaving the company because they're, I was talking about a, 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 if your development process is, is slow, if, if it takes a while to do a deployment or things like that, that nowadays is a reason for someone to go and go work in another company. So that's not just losing that resource, that's actually making my company less secure. So there's a bit of that in there as well with this, I think too. It's so hopefully it works out overall. But that's yeah, I love the idea. But you want initiative. Yeah. It's the initiative
0: piece, right? I want them to take initiative because Mm -hmm. that means they're they're vested in their future as well. And as a manager, that's what you want, right? I I want them to show the initiative. You go figure out how to get the funding. And that allows them to continue to grow and move up through the organization for sure uh we're getting a little tight on time uh four tactics that backfire uh when dealing with a difficult colleague um yeah matt you're not that difficult it's okay yeah i know but don't suppress your emotions i mean come on
3: (laughs) i've worked for a long time (laughs) on controlling my
0: tourettes
2: (laughs) (laughs) controlling it dude that is the best coping mechanism ever (laughs) close the door
3: (laughs) son of (laughs) a
0: There's some good pointers in there for anybody who wants to to learn. I want to thank my co-hosts, all three of you for joining me today. Thanks for stepping up. I know Jason was out. Ben's been traveling like a madman. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you everyone for watching and listening. We'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.